What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, hi, hello, Hardwood Knox listeners. Our season preview train is going to continue rolling along. We're doing part one today of our Southeast Division Outlook. We're going to be talking a lot about the Atlanta Hawks and Washington Wizards. I'm very pleased to be joined by co-founder of Early Bird Rights, Jeff Siegel. You can follow him on Twitter at JG Siegel. That's S-I-E-G-E-L. And definitely be sure to follow Early Bird Rights on Twitter at Early Bird Rights. He does a great job of really keeping up with all the NBA salary cap minutia over there, really updates his cap sheets, timely, great insight when he's publishing work over there. And they have big things in the works, he tells me. So you're going to want to check them out again at Early Bird Rights. Before we get started, I just want to continue reminding, imploring, begging, pleading at the top of my lungs, Subscribe to rate and review Hardwood Knox on iTunes. We can also be found wherever else you're consuming your podcast Spotify, Stitcher, Art19, anywhere you want to be, you can take us along with you. iTunes is still one of the best ways to let us know you're out there and listening. So please subscribe. If you've done that already, definitely throw us a five star rating. Write a review about anything you'd like to see on the podcast, any, any comments, questions, concerns, anything like that. I'm always checking them out. Um, and if you've done all three of those things, we appreciate referrals, getting the word out, tagging us on Twitter, retweeting our own promo tweets. We ask a lot of our community, but you guys always step up and we appreciate your support and just want to continue growing it. We love you all 3000, maybe even more than that. Follow Hardwood Knox on Twitter while you're at it at Hardwood Knox. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. You can follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey. Last but certainly not least, follow Blue Wire on Twitter at Blue Wire Pods. With all the housekeeping notes now out of the way, we get to part one of our Southeast Division Outlook with Early Bird Rights' Jeff Siegel. What it do, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli, coming at you without my co-host Andrew Bailey this time, but as we keep our season outlook train rolling, I'm super excited to be joined by Jeff Siegel, now I think a frequent guest we can call him on the pod since this is the third time I've I've bothered him. He is the founder of Early Bird Rights and an editor at Peachtree Hoops. If you're not following Early Bird Rights on Twitter, at Early Bird Rights, or using the website, you need to remedy that. Post haste, the best uh, salary tracking NBA stuff out there. Jeff updates uh, new contracts and salaries within minutes of them being reported uh, follow him on Twitter as well, at J.G. Siegel, S-I-E-G-E-L. And again, early bird rights, at early bird rights. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing well. Excited for the season to start. we got about eight days until, as we're recording this, eight days until we, we kick off a new season. The season's going to be super fun. It's, you know, real open and interesting. So, you know, I'm excited about that. Obviously, trying to get all my ducks in a row before the season starts, but should be uh, should be a fun one. I did think, uh, before we get into the Southeast, that, the, the wide open 
nature of the the race and just everything in the NBA right now, the player movement, it's definitely great and is going to make for an overall entertaining product. And I didn't suffer from, and I'm sure you didn't either because you're updating those salary cap sheets every five seconds, not remembering where players were. Like it wasn't overwhelming in that aspect. But now as you get to analyzing the season, it seems so hard to forecast how teams are just going to fare relative to the field because it's so wide open and because there are so many new moving parts on a bunch of these squads. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be it, this, the first couple months of the season is are, are going to be really interesting just to see sort of how guys fit with their new teams, how new, you know, how the team sort of, how the new coaches sort of fit in with their, with their new teams. It's just, there's so much movement, both players and coaches that it's just, the first month of the season is just going to be like, okay, who's on my team and who, <laughs> who am I allowed to pass the ball to? And just all of that sort of thing. And then as, you know, as the the players sort of get used to it, I think that the back half of the season is going to be a little bit more instructive in terms of, you know, what the playoffs are going to look like and, and moving forward. Well, you're kind enough to be tackling the Southeast division outlook with us today. Hawks, Wizards, Heat, Hornets, Magic. We will, as always for our listeners, be going in reverse uh, record order from last year which means we're starting with the Atlanta Hawks. They were 29 and, and 53 this year. They have really made the list of, of people's uh, league pass rankings, it seems, heading into this season, or watchability rankings. We'll see uh, how long that holds uh, if people actually tune in. But they do look like they're going to be just a really fun team. And I'm obviously going to start with Trey Young. Uh, the degree of difficulty on his role last year was just mind-boggling and I think that was the crux to me at least of him ever sort of entering loosely very loosely even though it never felt genuine uh the rookie of the year race when uh, Doncic sort of fell off towards the tail end of the season what do you think is a reasonable expectation for him this year or what does a leap from him this season look like and just the second layer of that is do you get a sense that maybe people are are rushing for, for to see something from him. I know ESPN had him 28th on their top 100 ladder, and I think he has a higher ceiling than that number, but to put him there for his sophomore campaign and just some of the general comments I've seen about him, I've almost been surprised at how low people were last season to now how high they are going into his second year. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that we need to keep in mind with Trey is like, growth with NBA players is not like this linear thing where he was really good last year and then he's going to make this leap and then he's going to make another leap. Like these leaps don't happen like year over year over year, like we always sort of expect them to. So when he was really great with his rookie year, if he just like does that again, if he can avoid what he did, like in the first two months, maybe six weeks of the season where he shot like 25% from three, if he can avoid that, but just put up like basically the same numbers he did last year and just be sort of that consistent type of, of player that he was last year. That's, that's a leap. Like that's a leap in and of itself only just to be consistent over 82 games to play the way he played over the last maybe three or four months of the season. I think that's to expect him to make a much larger leap than that. I think might be a little bit unrealistic. Obviously it's part of his, you know, he can, he can do that. It's part of his, you know, 90th percentile outcome but his sort of median outcome this year is just to like play as well as he did last year and just continue to be more consistent with his, you know, avoiding turnovers would be a big thing. Just that sort of thing, you know, get the, uh, get the shot to not be broken for the first six weeks of the year. I think they did a good job of sort of letting him do whatever he wanted for six weeks and then come into him at the end of that and being like, Hey, this isn't working. You want to listen to us and we've got some ideas. And, you know, I think that worked. And then he was able to, 
sort of get it going from December on. If he can just sort of do that again without, you know, without the, the down six weeks and just sort of be consistent, that's the that's the biggest thing I'm looking for him, from him this season, you know, looking for from him. I think it's to to expect him to make a leap on defense or make a leap as an offensive player. I don't even know where the leap as an offensive player would come from. You know, he's already one of the maybe five or six best passers in the league. Right. He's a great pick and roll operator, has a ton of gravity outside on his pull-up jumper, even though that jumper was not perfect last season. I guess that's the leap he could make. He was a good finisher. He's got a good floater game. Like, I don't know where the, the leap really comes from offensively, but it's to expect him to make another massive leap like he did from college to the pros. I wouldn't, I'm not necessarily expecting anything massive out of him. It sort of seems like, that, like that's how it'll be with Doncic too. Like it's a lot of the same stuff we saw last year, just with more consistency, maybe better efficiency. And uh, I was looking up for something I was writing the other day and out of 423 players who appeared in 20 games last year, only four saw a higher percentage of their made threes go unassisted. And so I, I don't even know if it's reasonable then to expect this huge uptick in efficiency. Maybe I know his, you know, finishing at the rim kind of declined, last year but when you have to take shots like that uh it's i I don't even know if you can then measure his improvement uh just from a pure uh, efficiency perspective and so then all just becomes about those maybe uh minor upticks or maybe you seem just be a little bit more i don't want to say gambly but active on the defensive end or it's like you said just going wire to wire where the efficiency is is kind of the same from where he was at after december after after january of last year yeah i mean i think that's the one place offensively where you could see him make some sort of improvement is just playing off the ball a little bit more and, and not like he has this tendency to throw a pass to a teammate. And if that teammate is not immediately either open for a shot or like has, you know, an advantage that he's driving to the rim, Trey will like go chase his own pass to get the ball back. And that you could see, you can see the, the, the coaching staff sort of working with him on like, Hey, your teammates can do things too. Like give Kevin Hurd of the ball and let him do something. Go stand in the corner on the, you know, above the break on the, on the opposite side, move around a little bit and try to use your shooting gravity to help your teammates a little bit more than he, he does right now. I think that's sort of a minor improvement. I'm not sure that that's something that we're going to see in year two, but some, at some point down the line, I think it would be good offensively for him to just, let things go a little bit more. Obviously you want the ball in his hands as much as you can because he's Trey young and he's a great passer and he's a great pick and roll operator. But at some point there's going to be need to be some variety. I don't think you can win a title with Trey young, just, you know, having 35% usage, you know, on, on a playoff team, you're going to need, so, you know, you're going to need Kevin Herter. You're going to need Deandre Hunter. Even John Collins is going to have the ball in his hands a little bit more this year. And you're going to need Trey to let that happen and let it go a little bit and play a more, you know, off the ball role. I don't know that that's going to happen this year, but at some point in the next few years, I think that's going to need to be a, a, a reasonable improvement in his game. Well, that was kind of a nice segue into my second question on our sexy six segment. Do we see the Hawks give John Collins some more on ball responsibility. It seems like it increased a little bit last year um, and that he was really comfortable just moving with the ball in his hands a little bit more. Uh, is, is that something that we can expect to, to see them try and maybe extract from him, particularly when the backup point guard situation, I would say is not defined or isn't great at the moment. Yeah. I mean, the backup point guard situation is, is entirely undefined. I mean, certainly they'll tell you, 
that Evan Turner is the backup point guard. And we haven't seen Evan Turner in preseason as, as, as we record this on Monday, right before they play the heat, he's going to play tonight against the heat. So we'll see a little bit more of like what their main rotation looks like with him, with him at the backup point guard spot. But like right now, Deandre Hunter has been the backup point guard through two games. And so that's, interesting i mean certainly that was not what he was drafted for i don't think i mean maybe it was and maybe they're sort of ahead of the game on that but you know for for collins i think they're going to put the ball in his hands a lot more this year it was something that they harped on with us last year with the media last year just to say like we for them from their perspective they don't want him to they don't want him to be like this rim running center they Mm -hmm. want him to be like Blake Griffin, Aaron Gordon, those are the names that pop up when they are talking about his development, not like Clint Capella. Like the, the so that's the sort of the, the difference in terms of what they're they're looking to develop with him offensively is they want him to be able to run a pick and roll both as the ball handler and as the role man and like have that sort of you know within his his skill set be able to spot up from the corner and then when he gets run off the line take two dribbles and get to the rim. You know, he's that, that the, those are the sorts of things that they're looking for to to develop him over these next couple of years before, you know, before he hits uh, free agency again. I don't know that that's something that is going to necessarily work. I don't know that he's going to be able to to reach the heights that like Blake Griffin has reached, but they're going to try. And that's the sort of that's the direction they're moving him into rather than sort of being, you know, bulking him up and making him a center. They really do want him to be like a power forward and an all around kind of forward offensively. Yeah. And normally with him, uh, from someone who's just so far removed from the team, I would default to get the, you need to just develop him as a center because that's where he'd be the biggest offensive mismatch. And not that centers can't do that type of offensive transition, but the focus on it almost makes it feel like they're committed to him playing the four long-term. And I don't think I actually disagree where I might've at the start of last year, just because from the Hawks games that I watched last year, it felt like, and I know part of this is because if he's at the four, then there's a chance that you have a better defensive player at the five with him, but he just looks more comfortable as a guy who needs to sometimes get out on the perimeter. And I would trust him more doing that defensively than I would as being sort of the back line of your defense at the five. And right now I could say that's whatever, but I'm even saying just long-term down the line. I don't know if he could really ever be that type of defensive player. I mean, for them, like if he could just be any kind of defensive player, (laughs) that would be fantastic. Like it was not something that got a lot of coverage because of what he was doing offensively and because of what Trey was doing and because the team was not very good. But like John was really bad on defense last year, like really bad, you know, through about, like right after the all-star break, things started to turn around a little bit. There was like a six week stretch right after the break to the end of the season where all of a sudden he was like making rotations and being vertical at the rim. Like all of those like basic rim protection things at the floor where you're sort of the weak side shot blocker. None of those things were in his game for the first year and a half of his, of his NBA career. There things are starting to turn around, but if he doesn't continue to make massive improvements defensively, like there's going to be there's going to be a real question whether he is a part of this team's like you know long-term contending future because like you can get away with having one bad defender on a team on a on a high-end playoff team and that's going to be Trey Young cuz he's yeah. you know 6 foot nothing maybe 6 foot 1 and is just not he's never going to be a positive defender at his position but if you also have to scheme around you know a, a bad power forward 
at, at, on, on defense, that's not going to work long term. That's barely it's not going to work short term either, but it's definitely not going to work long term. And so if if Collins can't make that improvement almost I mean, unless he's just literally Blake Griffin on offense or literally like Carl Anthony Towns on offense, if he's not that level of of offensive talent, I'm not sure that he's going to be a starting caliber power forward for this team long term. I think that seems a little bit weird based on sort of what we think of John Collins and where he sort of stands with this team. But just thinking about the conference finals, if you have last year's version of Trey Young and John Collins defensively out there, you can't, you're not even going to make the conference finals, much less you have a chance to actually win them. And so, you know, for me, Collins on defense is the most important thing that can happen for this Hawks team this year. I think, you know, if, you know, there are things like on the outlier that, that could possibly happen. Like if DeAndre Hunter blows up and wins rookie of the year, like that would be obviously super awesome for them. But just in terms of things that like the median outcome would really, really elevate this Hawks team ceiling long-term John Collins being an above average defensive player at the power forward position would be so important for them as a weak side shot blocker, as somebody who can rotate well, as somebody who can guard the perimeter. If that can happen, then this team has a much higher ceiling than they do, you know, coming into this season. And so is that where you would say kind of, I, I, look, the league is so positionless now, but do you think there's just a better chance then of him surviving or making that jump defensively as play, let's say just playing as alongside another big, as opposed to being just the primary big in, in these smaller lineups? I think so. I mean, he's just not that big. Like you think of him as big because he plays this sort of rim running style, at least through the first you know couple his, years of his career. His legs are like a, but like he's like too. six, yeah. eight. Yeah. And he's, I mean, he's vertically amazing and like, but that's not going to last forever. Like we know with these guys, like even if he doesn't get hurt, by the time he hits 26, 27, like a lot of that vertical athleticism won't be quite as ridiculous as it is now. Like it's just, that's part of aging, you know? And so I think if that goes and he's, you know, six, eight and a half without shoes on with a, you know, six ten wingspan, you know, call it six ten in shoes with a six ten wingspan that's not a center. Like you can't, you can play that guy at center, but you're not going to be sound defensively. And like, if you have Trey Young and John Collins defending a pick and roll where John Collins is not big enough to just lay back and protect the rim and Trey's dying on screens and can't get through them anyway, that's just going to be a difficult thing to, to have happen. But if you have, you know, even a guy like Alex Len, who's not great at anything, but it's just massive. Like he's seven, two with a re- legit, like seven, two to seven, four wingspan. If he's just that big standing back there. And then Collins is sort of patrolling as the, the weak side shot blocker, the sort of Serge Ibaka role from his OKC days, that makes a lot more sense to me. So I think, you know, both offensively and defensively, his best long-term position really may be the four, as long as you have the right kind of center to, to play next to him. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter where you're selling, be it Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And right now, Hardwood Knox listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So 
you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customers. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE, B-L-U-E. That's ShipStation.com, then enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. You mentioned DeAndre Hunter before. Do you have any early impressions of him, especially if they're maybe experimenting him with being more of a playmaker than you thought? Is there, look, this is sort of looking in hindsight, but I know there's value in going after your guy if you want him. And I think they did that with Trey Young when they traded the the Luka Doncic pick, and, and that's fine. But are you like a little bit uneasy where this one, where you look at, in the aggregate, what they ended up giving up to get him. It, it's like, I, I, there are a ton of moving parts, but it effectively amounts to, they gave up cap space, Nikhil Walker-Alexander, Jackson Hayes, and I'm just assuming two seconds uh, because I don't think that cab first round pick is going to hit, obviously. Yeah, I don't, I, that, that Cleveland first round pick is basically two seconds at this point, unless Cleveland blows up this year, but they're not, you know, the, the, the Cavaliers are going to be awful. Um, for Hunter... Like, obviously, it's only been two preseason games as we record this. We haven't seen the, their Heat game on Monday night. So it's only been two preseason games. You can't take much out of that, if anything, really. But he has looked much better than I expected him to. He's not just this sort of standstill three-point shooter who can play defense, which that in and of itself at six foot eight is a very, very valuable thing to have. Mm-hmm. But if he's able to make some plays off the dribble, like he's been the most impressive player in preseason, not like based on expectations. Obviously, like Trey and John have been really good. John has, you know, John had a, a really bad second game, but he, those guys have been better just in terms of overall play. But Hunter, relative to my expectations, has been the most impressive player in their two preseason games, just based on like I was, I was under the impression that he was more of a sort of standstill three point shooter on offense and was going to bring most of his value defensively, but he can make some plays off the dribble. He's very sort of good at that sort of two dribbles and a good decision type of thing that Danny LaRue talks about all the time on, on the dunk dog podcast. That's more than I expected from him. Certainly this early in his career, once we get into the regular season and guys are really trying on defense and all of that stuff, we'll see if that's that aspect of his game disappears. But certainly through the first two preseason games, I've thought that he's he's been better than I than I had anticipated. And if they can get him to do that, you know, two dribble decision making stuff, that's something they never really, at least consistently, could get out of Torian Prince. And then, as you're talking <laughs> that's about, that's for sure. And then, if you're talking about with John Collins, if he does become close to an average, like where he's just not terrible defensively, then maybe you can get away with those Hunter Collins front courts because Hunter, from what I read, and the draft crash you know, that I did before out of the NBA draft, it does seem like he might be someone where, again, you didn't really want Torian Prince defending, defending fours. I don't think it feels like Hunter is going to be a guy who's going to be, be able to do that long-term relatively easily. Yeah. I mean, I think that he certainly has a better chance of doing that than Torian Prince has over the last few years, but Prince, I mean, the biggest thing for Prince was that he just was not a re like he couldn't rebound to save his life. Like, and that was where they got killed when he would, when they tried to play him at the four, not even in games, because they just decided that they couldn't do it much in games, but just in practices, they would try that, they would sort of run those lineups out there. And those teams would just get killed on the glass, even if he was playing next to like Alex Len or, or, you know, DeAndre, uh, Dwayne Dedman back in when Dedman was on this team, 
they would still just get killed on the glass because Prince just doesn't seem to care about rebounding. Like his his rebounding numbers, his rebounding rate was the same as Jalen Adams. And Jalen Adams was the Hawks' backup point guard who was like six foot one. And and Torian Prince is six foot eight playing the three, should be, should have a physical advantage in terms of height over the guys that he's sort of defending at the three for the most part, not always, but for the most part. And he still had a just abysmal rebounding rate. And so I think, you know, certainly the Nets are going to have to sort of figure out how to get him to defend, how to get him to rebound a little bit more. But if Hunter, if Hunter is sort of a, a souped up version of Torian Prince, which I think that that's, I think that's what they think he's going to be, then yeah, he's going to be able to, to play the four a little bit next to Collins at the five. Collins makes some of those improvements. Hunter is really good as sort of a team defender as well. You can make, I think you can make those lineups work as long as both of those guys sort of, they're, they're both going to have to hit their ceilings defensively in order to make that work. But if it happens, I think that's something that they'll certainly uh, experiment with. I remember heading into last season, I spoke with you about the Hawks and uh, I remain a Torian, on Torian Prince. I don't think it's an island. There are plenty of people who like him, but you talked me down on him a little bit off the ledge a little bit and you were clearly smart too just a, just a random aside on this podcast yeah i mean he he didn't do anything last year that wasn't different than he did the year before he's a great shot he can make shots on the perimeter he you should not have him put the ball on the floor he's going to turn the ball over if you, like he's danny green on offense in a, in a way and it's weird because he didn't come into the league with that sort of reputation out of baylor but this is what he is now is he is He's Danny Green, you know, back with with the Spurs, where if he dribbled the ball, it was going to go out of bounds. And whether he passed it out of bounds or he dribbled it off his foot or whatever, that's where Torian Prince is now. He's a great shooter. You can run him off screens. But the only thing is, is that he just, he's not Danny Green on defense. He's not anybody on defense. Like, he just doesn't. He has not, in the last two years, as the Hawks have been bad, tried on the defensive end. His first year, when they were a playoff team, he did try and he was in the starting lineup in the playoffs. Like that's, that's the sort of difference that he can make on a, on a team that he thinks is good enough for him to care on defense. If he does, then the nets are going to be good. But if he doesn't, then he's, you know, he's just not, he's, he's not that valuable. Uh, there's a little tidbit for net fans to, to get from this podcast. Uh, moving back to the Hawks, the player that I might be most interested in watching for them this season is, is Cam Reddish just because of how far, his stock plummeted during last year with Duke and just how variant opinions are on him. Uh, even Lloyd Pierce has talked a lot about making sure they, they give Reddish the room sort of to discover himself because he's not even sure what's going to be the best position for him to succeed. Uh, do you have any idea what, not what eventually that's going to look like, but what the Hawks are going to try and get him to do? Do you think maybe they'll give him reps as that, you know, that secondary ball handler because the backup point guard situation is in, is in such flux. Uh, is there anything like th- that you can glean from, from how they're, they're going to use him? Yeah. I mean, I think that they're going to try to make, give him some opportunities to handle the ball a little bit and see what he can do. I don't know that that's going to work. I don't think he's got the sort of athletic pop that you're going to need from a guy like that to be even a part-time ball handler. I think that's the biggest thing right now that he's got to work on or that he's, if he can even work on it, he's got to improve being a little bit more of a an athlete. I don't know if that's even something that he can improve on, but like in the first game that they played, the very one of the first things that he was involved in, he catches the ball in, in the left corner. Drew Holiday is closing out to him. 
He pump fakes, gets Drew sort of up in the air, out of position, takes two dribbles in and pulls up for a jumper. That jumper got blocked by Drew Holiday. And like, it's like, how, how does that even happen if you're an NBA level athlete? It might be that Reddish isn't an NBA level athlete. And like, he just hasn't quite gotten there yet, whether it's he's still recovering from the injury, whether he was just sort of tentative in his first game out there. He was better the rest of that game and he was better in the, in the second game as well. But there were some issues with just, there are issues with his athleticism. And so I, I don't know that being, putting the ball in his hands a lot and making him, forcing him to have to create his own advantages rather than having the advantages created for him. And then he can just sort of continue to make, to sort of open up that advantage. I think that's, that's going to be more of his role this year is, is just sort of you use the possessions that are sort of created for you in a way without necessarily putting him in the position where he has to create everything. Did you like that pickup for them? Like using, uh, was it, was it nine they used on him? Was it 11? I can't even remember at this they point. They used 10 on him and they <laughs> traded eight for, for Hunter. Um, it was fine. I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily where I would have gone in that spot, but I understand where they thought, they thought that, that DeAndre Hunter was their sort of more sort of rock solid answer at the three. And then they can sort of, maybe even the four with Hunter, depending on you know how he develops over these next few years. Whereas Reddish is much more of a sort of, I don't, I don't want to call him like a home run swing, but it's, he's, he's got a lot more variance to his career than Deandre Hunter does. I think Hunter, we sort of, even though he's shown even a little bit more than I expected from him in the first two preseason games, he, we sort of, know what DeAndre Hunter is going to be. He's a little bit more, he's a little bit safer. I don't think that he has quite the, if Reddish hits, he's got a higher ceiling than Hunter, but there's a, you know, there's certainly a much lower floor because of the athleticism concerns and all, all of that. So I'm not, I'm not sure what, whether I think it makes sense that they sort of took two guys who can play similar positions. One is a little bit safer. One is a little bit more of a home run swing and we'll sort of see how it works out. I would have been okay with it no matter what, because I, I'm fascinated uh, on Reddish and probably higher on him than most. But I think just looking at what the options would have been on the board at 10, unless they were really in front of, you know, Nikhil Alexander Walker and look at regular yeah, season games I mean, have yet to be played. So the, the, I'm saying that like uh, Alexander Walker's this proven product. So it doesn't really seem like sure. they missed out on anyone unless, you know, one of these guys just develops into a superstar anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, I I'm, I'm I was a huge Alexander Walker guy. Like I had him at like 12 or 13 on my board. I still had Reddish a little bit higher because I sort of read the tea leaves and sort of figured out that that or I just it was clear that he was going to be higher on draft boards. But Alexander Walker was somebody that I was really interested in. I, I am not I'm not taking a victory lap quite yet, but certainly he has looked uh, very good in preseason so far. Yeah, he was, I always do, I have a thread going where it's the random players that I get, not random, but players I get fascinated with and too high on leading up to the draft, and he was this year's fixation, so I apologized in advance to him for his bad career, because I don't hit on him very much. <laughs> um, so for this team, we kind of talked about the point guard, backup point guard situation a little bit already. Is there, if you had to guess... Who ends up being the second leading man in in assists? I know it's still going to be a playmaker by committee thing, I'm assuming. I I say I know, but I'm assuming. But that's almost what makes this question so so intriguing to me is by year's end, or is there – do you have a feel for who might be getting a majority of those reps still? Is it going to be Evan Turner, even though the Hawks don't project as a playoff team? Do you think it will be a Hunter, 
or a reddish? Is there someone that you would like to see being the guy that's getting a majority of those reps at that spot? I think reddish is probably my least likely person to end up in that spot just because of what we just talked about where he's, I don't think they're going to put the ball in his hands and say, Hey, go create a shot, go create and pick and roll. I think he's more of a secondary guy, but I mean, the way they talk about him, Evan Turner is the backup point guard for this team. We're going to see, we haven't seen him yet. So it's hard to sort of know whether that's just something they're saying because they want Turner to be happy or because they actually (laughs) believe it. So what we're going to see, I think, you know, certainly the next couple of preseason games are going to be very instructive for where they see Turner's Turner's role long term. It wouldn't surprise me if he's the guy. I think he's the the he would be my odds on favorite to to be the the guy who is second to Trey Young and assists. Outside of that, I think Kevin Herter and DeAndre Hunter are sort of the two next guys, and then maybe maybe with Collins, but Collins would have to take such a leap, and he's going to play so many minutes next to Trey Young that I don't know that he's going to really have the opportunity to do that. Is there anything for this team that uh, you're going to be watching that you're concerned with that sticks out to you that's really just not getting enough national shine or, or being talked about enough leading into the season? I mean, I think we, we talked about it briefly before, and we, well, we talked about it a little bit more than briefly. John Collins' defense is so – it's the most important thing that's going to happen to the Hawks this season. And I think that's, that's something for me – that is not talked about enough with them in terms of their long-term future. Everybody's just like, Oh yeah, like Trey and John are so good together and everything is just sort of moving forward for them in Atlanta. But it's, it's really so vastly important that he becomes a, a useful defensive player that that's the, that's the most important thing I'm watching from them this year. Yeah. That, uh, that seems, you know, you look at swing pieces on like incumbent swing pieces on teams and not necessarily wild cards, but something that could really turn the trajectory of an, incho- an entire franchise one way or the other. And it does seem that John's co- John Collins' defense specifically, or I guess development, if they're really going to try and get him to be this on-ball threat offensively, is probably that for Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, I wonder... I'm not sure that they really necessarily need him to be like Blake Griffin offensively. We're, we're, you know, no, I think not we'll, with Trey Young, right? <laughs> right. Like, Trey's going to have the ball in his hands so much that, like... His that Collins' offensive development is very much more as a secondary guy, but his defensive development is so important for them long term. If they're, I mean, certainly the whole point of what they're doing is to compete compete for championships down the road. And Trey Young can be a championship level point guard even with his defensive liabilities, but you can't have another defensive liability next to him. And so you know, Kevin Herter doesn't profile as a great defender but he's long and he'll he'll be able to handle his position deandre hunter's going to be good we know that or we're we're not we don't know that but we're reasonably confident that deandre hunter is going to be able to defend his position the center position is still up in the air we don't know whether their long-term center is bruno fernando or he if that guy's not on the roster yet i would probably lean toward not on the roster yet over bruno but we'll see um but collins he's gonna have to pick it up like he's gonna everybody's gotta have to pick up the slack for Trey. And if John can't pick up Trey's slack and is a negative in his own right, then that just puts so much pressure on everybody else that it's basically going to be untenable for them. It's definitely a name we didn't mention up already, though, is Kevin Herter is someone they even toyed with using as, as a ball handler, too. Do you think he has a better chance of working out in that secondary role than a DeAndre Hunter or a Cam Reddish? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, certainly I've liked what I've seen from Hunter through two preseason games, but of course, like, that's just two preseason games. Like, we have an entire season that Kevin Herter 
is a capable ball handler and a very good passer already. It's not like, you know, he's certainly not like Trey Young as a passer, but he's, he's a good passer. He can handle the ball. He's going to be stronger this year. I, I know that he's been, he's been working on his strength in the offseason because he just got beat up last year. He had, would almost never drive to the rim because he would just get beat up too much. And so he's going to be physically stronger this year. He's going to be able to take those hits. He's going to be able to get to the rim. You know, I'm expecting bigger things out of him. He's another one of those guys where, like Trey Young, where if he just sort of gets a little bit better at the things he's already pretty good at, then he's going to be fine. And it's it's not necessarily that I'm looking for like a huge leap in a certain area from Herder, but just better consistency and you know sort of more of what he was doing last year is going to be the the what's you know on on tap for for Herder this year. Our quick hitters for the Atlanta Hawks, we we now get to uh, are they going to grade out higher on the offensive end or the defensive end? I feel like this is a, a gimme. They did rank 25th in offensive efficiency last year and 27th in defensive efficiency per cleaning the glass. Yeah, I mean this has to be offense. Yeah. Like there's no there's no possible way that this team is is better on defense than offense unless basically the only way that that happens is if they make three trades for actual defensive players. Like how many above average defenders are on this Hawks team? Like maybe <laughs> DeAndre Hunter if he if he is immediately good, Evan Turner and DeAndre Bembry. That might be it. Like frankly that really might like this team should be in my estimation one of the three or four worst defensive teams out there like Washington, Cleveland, Charlotte, maybe the Knicks and Atlanta. Those are the bottom five defensive teams this year. And I mean certainly when Trey Young is on the floor if he is sort of if he makes that sort of incremental step to just not be terrible at the beginning of this season, they're going to be an average offensive team. Like the fact that they finished 25th in offense when Trey is just when Trey's on the floor, I think they can be 15th, maybe 12th on offense. You know, certainly when he is not on the floor, it's going to be a struggle. Like Evan Turner is their backup point guard. DeAndre Hunter, Kevin Herter, like it's going to be an issue for them to score when he's not on the floor. But he's going to be able to elevate them to to the point where his offense, their offense overall is better than the defense. Uh, who's your breakout candidate for this team? And hopefully it was implied that you could you could choose a rookie. I know that. We don't typically name them as breakout candidates, but if you wanted to, I have no problem with it being a Hunter. Yeah, I mean, Hunter was certainly interesting through the first two games. Kevin Herter is is somebody who could break out, but again, breaking out for him is just being consistently a little bit better than he was last year. It's not you're adding this entire new you know skill to his game. Certainly, if Trey is willing to give the ball up a little bit more and Herter has more chances in pick and roll to sort of show what he can do, that will lead to an uptick in his numbers that look like that you know makes it look like a breakout. Collins, if he can add to his perimeter game and the defense, like if, if Collins hits his ceiling this year as a perimeter player and as a defender, that's I mean that could be a most improved player kind of guy. I'm not sure that we you know that he's going to put all of that together in the same year, but he's he's certainly somebody to watch in that category as well. You might have tipped your hand there. Uh, who's your strongest year-end award candidate? Focusing on the. Uh the seven major ones. And, and why is it Jabari for MVP? It is not Jabari <laughs> for anything at all. I mean, if he, I mean, I've been, I've been thinking about like rotations and sort of trying to figure out, you know, how this team is going to play. And I mean, I don't see where, like, I don't, I just don't know where Jabari is going to fit on this team. It's going to be weird. You know, he, the whole backup unit is just going to be so strange with Turner and Parker and DeAndre Bembry, three guys who, are sort of perimeter like none of those guys are centers and they none of those guys can shoot 
And between Bembry and Turner, like those are two like real non-shooters. And it's just so putting all those guys on the floor together is going to be super weird. You know, in terms of the awards, like nobody's going to sniff MVP. Certainly nobody's going to sniff, you know, defensive player of the year. They're not going to be good enough to win coach or executive of the year. Sixth man, like their bench is already going to be a, a disaster. You know, I don't think see anybody there. So it's really like if Collins can be, if Collins can make the the massive leaps on both ends of the floor, he has a chance at most improved. I wouldn't give him any, I wouldn't give him a, a large chance of, of doing that. But then like rookie of the year seems like it's almost already sewn up. Like we're already etching Zion's name onto the, onto the trophy. You know, DeAndre Hunter might be able to crack that. If the only way he does it really, if it is, if Zion like gets hurt and doesn't play enough games to really, you know, to, to, to win that award hunter may be able to sneak up in there but i'm not uh i'm not super confident that this team is going to be taking all many awards player most likely to be traded on this roster hmm that's interesting they've got a lot of higher end salaries two of whom are not going to play to start the year in chandler parsons and alan crab maybe they can flip those guys into longer term salary so you know with a team you know, maybe like Miami, if Miami's looking to get off some longer term money, they can flip Alan Crabb to them for James Johnson or somebody like that. They certainly would, it would be smart for them to explore, you know, get trading Chandler Parsons for Nicola Batum is somebody we'll probably talk about on this podcast a little bit later. I'm not sure that any of those, those trades are going to be out there for them, but that would be, I think one of those two guys is the most likely to get traded just because they have these these guys make massive salary. They're all they're both expiring contracts, and they're both not going to be a part of this team's rotation, at least at the beginning of the year. Crab, as soon as he gets back healthy, should be able to slide in and play some bench minutes. I'm not sure Parsons. It's it would it's not gonna surprise me, but it would I think it's less than a fifty percent chance that he ever really even suits up for the Hawks at this point. So he you know, the fact that he finished last year relatively strongly with Memphis and then came in and something must have happened over the summer because he's nowhere close to being ready to play as, as things stand right now. So, you know, it would, I'm not sure that he's really ever going to be, you know, part of this team. And so certainly if they can find a trade for, for one of those two guys, I think that makes a lot of sense. Do you think that they're still at a point where they, they'll consider taking back those longer term deals where they're getting, taking on teams as unwanted money? I think they certainly should be. I mean, they've got like $80 million in cap space next year, something like that, depending on where the cap comes in, 75 to $80 million. They certainly should, th- you know, think about James taking Johnson all actually money. might be a nice fit for this roster too. Yeah, well, I mean, he certainly fits in the same sort of Jabari, Evan Turner role where he's a four who can handle the ball. Like how many guys can you really have like that on the, on the same team? But, you know, he, he can he can play a little bit. Like I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, paying them for for making some sort of move like that if especially if they got an asset for Miami for for doing that you know I, I just I, I don't see how they're gonna want to spend 80 million dollars in, in cap space next year so if you want to take on 20 25 million dollars in in future money and still have you know 50 million dollars to spend in free agency next year I think that'd be fine uh, where do you think they're going to land in an east whether it's a, if you have a specific seat or, or just a range? I think, I mean, I, I think Washington, the Knicks, the Cavaliers, and the Hornets are all going to be worse than them, but not by a ton. Like, I think it's just because the bottom of the East is so bad that they could find themselves being like the 11 seed, even though if they only win like 30 games, and the 10 seed is probably going to win like 40 games. 
you know, so I think it's, it's a real dichotomy in the East between like the top 10 and the bottom five. And so maybe they're the best team of that bottom five, but they're still going to be absolutely nowhere near the playoffs. You know, I've got them for like 30, 31 wins. So, you know, I don't think that they're going to be anything special, but certainly they're, they've got a chance to be sort of the best of the worst in the East. If you had to make a bold or boldish prediction for the Hawks this season, what would it be? I mean, it's, I mean, there's, there's not a whole lot of, of positive bold predictions. I could certainly go very negative here. I don't want to just because I go negative all the time and the Hawks fans hate me for it. So (laughs) I'm going to go with Evan Turner could be, could be really valuable for this team. If he's, you know, playing in the right role, they're putting the ball in his hands. If they, you know, if they decide to, really commit to him as the backup point guard. That's his best role these days is to play that backup point guard role. I'm interested in seeing, I mean, he's already going to be the best defensive player on the roster. Assuming he's healthy, he's the best defensive player because he can swing between the three and the four. He can hang with those guys at, the, at those positions. You know, we don't know what DeAndre Hunter is going to be defensively, but I'm assuming that Turner is going to be the best defender on the roster. Bembry is sort of in that conversation as well, you know, but he's more of a one, two defender than a three, four defender. Turner could be valuable as a guy who can close games for them as well. If John Collins is somebody who can play a little bit more on the perimeter and they can use Evan Turner as a short role playmaker, this is something that I've been interested in. The fact that Portland never did it over the last three years is certainly gives me pause that it's even possible. But the fact that the fact that Turner is so good at passing the ball and that he can't shoot anyway, if you put him in pick and roll with Trey, you know, the defense is going to double Trey. Turner catches the ball at the free throw line and gets to make that decision. That seems on paper like a decision that he should be able to make. Obviously, that that same exact thing applied for the last three years next to Damian Lillard in in Portland, and they almost never did that. So maybe it's something that Terry Sotts tried in practice and Turner was terrible at it. Maybe Turner was not able to really catch and turn and make a good decision. It seems weird that that if that's even possible that that if they tried that and he wasn't good at it, that seems weird just because you would think that was in his skill set. So if he can do that and if he's you know a valuable defensive player like I expect him to be, you know I think that Turner could be a, a relatively valuable piece for for this team and uh, for the just for the nineteen twenty season certainly. I mean some of the basically all bench units for Portland with him running point ended up working out pretty well last year. Their identity did tend to be statistically at least more on the defensive end, but there can be value in that too. So I don't think that that's sure. completely out of the question. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that we don't talk about enough with Turner just because of his massive hole as a shooter. And it just sort of dominates the conversation around him. But like, he's a really, really, really good defensive player. And he's clearly, I mean, he's probably the best, defensive forward like the 3-4 defensive swing swing man forward that the Hawks have had since I've been covering the team since like 2013 like it's really you know they've they've really struggled to find that guy and so I think he's he's somebody who can provide a lot of value like that guys are terrible at taking care of their health whether it's a knee injury bad back or something worse guys are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor I'm guilty of it myself I dislocated my shoulder just a few months ago after it popped back in rather than seeking immediate medical attention i just wanted to continue about my daily life deal with the pain and hope that it would eventually get better without really doing anything to rest it or make sure that it gave me proper range of motion the same is true for erectile dysfunction studies show 70 percent of guys who experience ed don't get treated for it 
Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to chat with a doctor online. With Roman, you get medical care for ED, if appropriate, from the comfort and privacy of your own home. You can handle everything online in a convenient, discreet manner. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. If your doctor decides that treatment would be appropriate, they can prescribe genuine medication that can be delivered in discreet packaging right to your door with free two-day shipping. Guys, go talk to the doctor. Erectile dysfunction can be tough to tackle, but it's really important to get checked out. With Roman, it's easy to get connected to a doctor. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. We move on to the most exciting team in this division, and I'm of course kidding. Uh, The Washington Wizards. uh, Last year, they were fourth in the Southeast Division, 32 and 50. Uh, this year, they have some stuff going on. Bradley Beal is where I think we need to start. I don't even know if it's a question anymore. Sh- will they trade him? Should they trade him? Uh, if you think they should trade him, are there any under-the-radar teams aside from the Celtics or the Nuggets that could really go out there and make a play that might perhaps uh, Washington would consider to moving him? Or do you think that this is just an issue where he'll end up finishing the season in Washington? I think it's up to him. I think that's that's the biggest thing. If I'm running the Wizards, I go to Bradley Beal and say, if you want to be traded, let us know and we will trade you. But if you are interested in playing this season out and trying to make all NBA and we're willing to put that money on the table for you, then you know I think that they should stick it out. I think that's basically, if you have an all NBA level player like Bradley Beal is. I mean, I'm not sure that he's quite at that level consistently, but he's really close to that level, being a top 20 player in the league. Just giving up on that guy before he says, I want out, is I don't think that's smart for any team, especially the Wizards team, that even if they were to get something good for him back, are still saddled with the John Wall contract, are still sort of going to be capped out and are not going to be able to really rebuild until John Wall comes off the books anyway. So you might as well try to stick it out as long as, as Beal is willing to, you know, I don't know that, I don't, I don't know what's going to, you know, obviously I don't know what's going to happen there, but I, I would think that as the wizards, I would go to Bradley Beal and just be like, be honest with us. If you don't want to be here, we will trade you. We promise we will trade you. But if not, if you are willing to tr- try to make this work, then we would love to, to continue to have you. He's, I, I think that makes sense, too, uh, just because he's still relatively young. He's This is age 26 yeah. season, so it's not – again, if you're doing a full rebuild, maybe you, you know, you're worried about that. There's obviously the, the potential Supermax qualification if he makes an All-NBA team this year, but he's, he's only 26 and doesn't turn 27 until June. So this isn't like a faux age 26 season where he turns 27 in, in the middle of February either. And so let's say they keep Beal. What I'm sort of interested in then is he played over 3,000 minutes last year. The Wizards are not going to be good. Is it a point where you end up shutting him down, or do you have to let him go out and chase uh, potentially getting into the All-NBA conversation? Because that might be part of the appeal of staying in Washington. I know he says he doesn't care about the money, but he has over 250 million reasons to care about the money if if he makes an All-NBA team. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that comes down again to them just having a conversation with him and being like, if we, if you make all NBA and we offer you the supermax, will you sign it? And if he's like, yeah, like I'm, I, I love it here. I want to stay here. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy here. I want John. You know, I want to make this work with John Wall as soon as he comes back. I really want to be a wizard for the rest of my career. Then you play him as many minutes as it takes to get him onto that All NBA team. If not, I mean, if he, if you say. If we offer you the supermax, will you stay? And he says no, then you trade him immediately because right. at that point, if you're not going to, if he's not going to sign for 250 million, he's not going to sign for less. You know, so I, I, I think at that point, then you do, you do whatever it takes to protect the asset that is Bradley Beal in terms of playing him fewer minutes, in terms of finding the best trade for him, whether that's at the deadline or next summer. You do what you need to do in order to protect yourself. But if he says, I will sign that supermax. If you can get me onto an all NBA team, then you do everything within your power to make that happen. Yeah, I'm just, he makes me nervous because he wasn't like the healthiest player at the beginning of his career. And now he's at over 6,000 minutes over the past two seasons is just, and to now toil away. You can obviously play him less and he would still get all NBA buzz, maybe keep him in the 2,500 range or even a little bit lower than that. But just makes me nervous to see someone so talented and, I, you don't want to see him suffer an injury or be run aground for a team that's on the fast track to nowhere, at least this season. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly a part of it. And you know, that that's up to their sort of sports science department to, to look at it and being like, Hey, this guy, you know, has played a ton of minutes over the last two years. Is it smart to, to run him out there? Even if he's, you know, even just to, to chase this contract, can we, can they cut him back to 25 to 2,800 minutes? And and see and see the same sort of all NBA kind of buzz come to him. I'm not sure. I you know he's certainly a long shot for all NBA anyway, just based on his standing within the league and the fact that Washington's going to be so bad. But you know, I would think that if he's willing to sign that deal, then Washington should do pretty much everything within their power to try to make that happen. Uh, my third thing on our sexy six: Did you think Rui Hachimura was a reach or sort of the dare to be great swing? Uh, what I was surprised by, at least in summer league with him, is I didn't really expect him. He looks like he's going to have a nice feel in the half court with the ball for his, uh, with the ball in his hands. You know, the decision making, the shot making is a different story, but his game was a lot smoother than from what I was reading leading into the draft, at least I thought, and it made me come around a little bit more on their decision uh, to take him so high. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't have him nearly as high. Like I had him at number eighteen on my board. I didn't really. I, I still don't feel like he's a, a starting level player long term. You know, I think he's, and that's what you're sort of looking for. At, you know, I think they 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 tabbed him number nine uh, between the two Hawks picks at eight and ten. You know, I'm not I, I I'm not super high on him. The feel is is fine. Like he certainly can handle the ball. He's smooth. He's got some skills, but the the between the ears stuff just scares me so much. Where he just doesn't. He doesn't read the game very well on either end of the floor. And so all of that smoothness with the ball in his hands, and he can be a scorer, an individual scorer, but playing within the team concept is not really there for him on either end of the floor. And so I think that's certainly he's a hard worker. Certainly he is still picking up the game, picked up the game late, and is, is sort of still you know getting used to to playing basketball. But to, to ask him to learn basically how to play basketball at the NBA level just seems like not such a great idea. Like he just doesn't, he's got the athleticism or, he, you know, he's got that smooth, smooth kind of game, but 
you know, putting it all, you know, putting it all together between the ears is where, you know, where things are going to go right or go very wrong for him. And, you know, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure I believe in, in his long-term mental development as, as much as obviously the Wizards do. Who is their best non-Rui prospect? Or maybe you don't even think that he is their best prospect. Is it Bonga at this point? Troy Brown? Schofield? I, I honestly, this is, was a tough question for me. Yeah, I mean, I think it's in terms of top prospect, I think it is still Rui just because of, you know, the long term time horizon they still have with him. And the the fact that if he does put it together, he can be, you know, a really high level player. But I'm just not I'm certainly just not a believer in in him being able to put that together. I think outside of him, I I like Troy Brown as sort of the guy who can be their second best prospect. You know, I think he he came on a little bit toward the end of last year and, and showed enough to where you know, I think he's he's got the the inside track to be the the best of the the other young guys that are not Rui Hachimura. What's um or excuse me, do you, what did you think of their Thomas Bryant contract? Three years, twenty five million. Dude, really seems like he he hustles and can be a, a valuable rim runner. I just don't get the sense that he's a center that you want as the backline of your defense ever. Uh, maybe that's still there's still time for that to change but i was a little bit it's not a deal you kill i was just a little bit surprised at the price point i was in my mind i was just like well what it's about mid-level money or less than mid-level money at the same time who was going to give him that money elsewhere and who was going to give him that money that you weren't just going to match it if you're washington so like that was that was the funniest thing about that was like you can let him go get a contract from somebody else and then match it. And if it's three for 20, like three for 25 seemed like basically the ceiling for him. You know, I, I didn't think that, you know, I don't, I don't think that's a massive overpay. If they had gotten him instead of three for 25, at three for 18, that would have been right about fair. So it's not like this is going to kill them. Certainly, you know, it's not like this is some sort of massive detriment on their off season, but with centers being such a dime a dozen these days and the fact that Bryant is so offensively focused and just is not a very good defender at all, I don't know where an offer like this was coming from another team. We just saw Kevon Looney take three years for 15. He had bigger offers elsewhere, but he, he, you know, he ended up taking three for 15 to go back to Golden State, and he was unrestricted. You know, The fact that Bryant was restricted – is you know would he have gotten sort of that same sort of offer and then and then you know the the Wizards could have saved ten million dollars overall I don't you know I don't think those are these are not the decisions that end up killing a team mm-hmm. you know the in the same way that like John Wall has certainly not worked out for them at the time it made sense but you know certainly now that is is really not worked out at all for them you know this isn't going to kill them but I think they overpaid slightly based on the market based on where you know how centers get paid the fact that Bryant was restricted. It's fine. I mean, I, I don't think that that's. I think he's he he played well enough that he, it's fine that this is is the contract that he got. But it's it's certainly not. They didn't get the team friendly deal that you you can sometimes get in restricted free agency. Uh, this was not really something I included, but it, it feels I'd be remiss if I didn't mention John Wall as part of this section. Uh, the smart move is just to like sit him out for the entire year, correct? Like we shouldn't have a conversation about will he be back by the end of the season. I mean, it's hard for me to know, obviously, like I just I don't have the, the requisite medical information in order to make that that call. But I would imagine that if you could, if if you can punt on this season and Bradley Beal is cool with that and everybody else is fine, then I think that makes the most sense for them. Get another high pick and then bring John Wall back next year when he can be as 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 healthy as can be at this point in his career. You know, I think that 
certainly would make the most sense to me. I'm not sure that it's something that they're going to try to do. I, I don't know if they're going to try to make a run late in the season if he's ready to go by you know mid January or February or something like that. But you know, I think that uh, certainly the long term play is to to sit him out, and certainly the fact that they have him on the books long term, you know, makes it makes it a little bit easier to try to look for that that long term future. Is there anything about this team you think that's not getting enough shine or that you're particularly going to be watching for during the course of the regular season? I mean, this team is going to be so bad in the non-Bradley Beal minutes. Like, I think that's one of the, the things to watch. I think if you had to go with a positive thing, you know, Justin Robinson is a really interesting point guard who, you know, who could come off their bench and actually do something. The fact that they've got some other, you know, the, some of these young guys who are not Rui are kind of interesting in terms of Troy Brown and Schofield and Isaac Bonga and even Mo Wagner. You know, they've got some guys who are kind of interesting, but nobody who's, you know, certainly going to lead a backup unit when Bradley Beal's off uh, on the bench. I just think this is going to be this sort of run-of-the-mill, terrible team, except for the fact that they've got one, you know, top 20 guy in Bradley Beal. Uh, two, yeah, the, the non-Beal minutes are, are going to be super interesting. And I guess once Isaiah Thomas is healthy, that could be like a positive storyline for this team is does he get back like in any way since he hasn't really had that opportunity since things just really went sideways for him with health and the trade of Cleveland and the Lakers and last season, not really having a huge opportunity in Denver. That might be just sort of an upbeat thing to monitor. Yeah. I mean, I hope for him that he can do that. I just, you know, I obviously don't have a, a whole lot of confidence in his, uh, his ability to get back out there. The lightning round uh, or quick hit around, excuse me for them. Will the wizards grade out higher on offense or defense? This seems like another gimme. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be offense almost by default because they're going to be just so bad on the other end. Now we get to two, I think it's almost unfair questions to ask you about this team. Uh, who's your breakout candidate for the Wizards? Yeah, I mean, this is sort of mean just because, like, who could possibly break out on this team? Maybe Troy Brown. You could look at his last few months of last year and see that he was sort of putting it together. And, you know, maybe he could be a, bit, a bigger part of this team, you know, this year. But, I, you know, this is kind of a mean question for them. I, this is probably this would be a fast and loose interpretation of of the word breakout, but like you know if, if Schofield gets minutes and he he shoots yeah. a high percentage from three, uh, like that's you know you're getting that from your second round pick or what do you uh, excuse me whatever he was for them, and so that might that would be there, but I don't even that would be kind of interesting. I mean, I yeah. think Justin Robinson, if you're going to look at rookies, could be somebody who you know, could play some, some real NBA minutes this year. Like, I don't know if that counts as a breakout, but like that would be a, that would be a positive development for them. Certainly if, if Justin Robinson could take the backup point guard spot. So, you know, there, there are some guys, but not nobody who's you know really all that sexy. I would love to see Isaac Bamaga end up with the backup point guard spot. Just like what, or one of the, you know, maybe Mo Wagner, just anyone they got from that <laughs> Lakers trade, uh, having a mini breakout, the probably an even meaner question, strongest year end of the war award candidate on this team. You can you can I'm, punt. You can default to nobody. <laughs> I mean, it, it the answer really is nobody. But I guess technically, Bradley Beal, if he just has one of these out of his mind seasons, could garner like a fifth place MVP vote. I doubt it because they're going to be so bad. But if he's just absolutely otherworldly and they're not quite as bad as we expect them to be, he might get into that conversation. Yeah, I think that's probably the best route to go. Um, I actually didn't ask you this on the Hawks. I'm sorry I skipped over it. Was there is there a lineup from this team, the Wizards, that you're that you're dying to see or that you'd like to see them trot out that might go against the the typical grain? I mean, there's not there's not a whole lot of options that they've got here, but I think 
the fact that they're going to be so bad on defense, especially you know with Thomas Bryan as their as their you know backline you know center defender, I think just going all offense like Bradley Beal, C.J. Miles, Troy Brown, Davis Bertans, and and Thomas Bryant, like just go offense all you know all the way and try to you know put up 120 points per 100, even if you're going to give up you know 120 probably to to the other team. I think that would be that's going to be interesting. You know they're not going to win games defensively anyway, so. You know, just go huge on the offense. I think Bertans was a a low key addition for them. Like, obviously, that was a weird situation with San Antonio where they thought they were going to get Marcus Morris, so they traded Bertans, and then they couldn't undo that trade by the time Morris changed his mind. So, the fact that Washington got to benefit off of that and and take Bertans in, I think that's you know a really good move for them. I think that somebody that can really help them. I don't know if he's going to be around long term. I think you know for for your next question, I think he's probably one of the more likely guys to get traded but i think if he's on this team they can really you know put out some interesting offensive lineups do you have a did you have a lineup uh penned down for the hawks on that question i apologize again for uh, jumping over that before yeah i mean they've got a lot of sort of interesting bench lineups that are that are going to be fun like especially if you just decided to go i mean they don't have a, a true backup point guard anyway so they're going to have a lot of lineups that are just like four playmakers and a center and it's going to be like kevin herter cam reddish you know, DeAndre Bembry, Evan Turner, and Bruno Fernando. And it's just going to be like, who can make a play on this possession? Who knows? We're just going to try to to swing the ball around until somebody makes something happen. So, you know, I think those are going to be the most interesting lineups for them. You know, obviously the best lineups are going to be like Trey and, and John, you know, running everything. But in the non-Trey Young minutes, just where can they get any offense from? I think that's, that's the most interesting lineup-based question for me. I really... I, I tend to go way too off the beaten path this, but I just have so many questions about basically all their wings. I would love to see an all wing lineup, and you just have to use DeAndre Hunter at the five in that scenario. But <laughs> with you know, I mean, Bembry, Turner, Reddish, and Turner. I th- I just I want to see it. Like if it's the end yeah. of the season and you still have all those guys and you're out of the playoff picture, I just I, I just want to see it. I I was not quite as off the beaten path as you were on on some of these questions, but we can. We can get weird with with some of those. I think a five wing lineup would be very interesting. I think offensively it would be fun to see if they could do it, but you know I don't think that team is going to stop anybody. Right, and the, I think that my combination obviously has the downside of you don't really have that proven secondary playmaker there outside of Evan Turner who doesn't leverage a shot, and there are so many youngsters. But uh, I, I honestly just don't care. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, for back to the Wizards, uh, you said Davis Bertans is a player to most likely be traded. Correct? Is that your feeling? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think he's because he's got so much value to the right team, and Washington is not the right team because of the the fact that they're not going anywhere, and the fact that he's going to be a free free agent at the end of this year anyway. I can see that they would value his bird rights because they're going to be over the cap in, in most situations. But I think that he's he's somebody who can really help the right team, and and if if Washington can maybe even get, you know, like a strong young player or a, a heavily protected first round pick, they should certainly look to move him. Yeah, the Spurs might need to trade back for him at some point <laughs> this season. That would uh that would be unfortunate for the Spurs. I'm not sure if that's even legal. I think if you trade for if you trade a guy away, you can't trade back for him like that. But I'd have to, to look into that uh, more closely. Where do you think the Wizards land in the East? Or they should really say will they be fifteenth in the East? <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's right. You know, they're they're sort of in that same bottom five with with the Hawks. You know, I think that they're you know right there with Charlotte and and Cleveland and New York and Atlanta for the worst five teams in the league. How that shakes out, you know, I, I don't think that Washington 
has an inside track to be one of the better teams like Atlanta does. You know, I certainly think like Atlanta and New York are the best of those, those bottom five teams. And then out, you know, Cleveland, Washington and Charlotte are just, it's going to come down to injuries. It's going to come down to, you know, whether Washington trades Bradley Beal, if they trade Bradley Beal, this is might be the worst team in NBA history, uh, depending (laughs) on what they get back, of course, for him. But, you know, if they trade him for like future assets, this is going to be knocking on the door of the worst team ever, you know? And so, They've got that sort of downside risk, so you you certainly would would think of them as you know fourteenth or fifteenth best you know team in the East. But this you know it's it's going to be a bad year for for Washington. I guess if they let Bradley Beal go ham for the entire season, there's a chance that maybe they could be like in the eleven to twelve range. Like if everything yeah. hits, like you have the Cavs and the Hornets could def- uh, the Cavs, the Hornets, and the Knicks. I think would be the two teams that you could peg as uh, have a chance of being worse than the Wizards in that scenario. Three teams, excuse me. Yeah, and certainly if they if they really hit on everything and something happens with Atlanta, they can get into eleventh. Um, but I don't think you know. I, I think the median outcome is certainly for them to be worse than that. The sexy. Oh, excuse me. The do you have a bold or boldish prediction for the Wizards? They Bradley Beal does not ask for a trade explicitly. They let him go for the All NBA. He misses it, and then they get less for him in a trade next summer than, than they would have otherwise. Ooh, I, I like that one. I think I'm with you there too. That has been part one of our Southeast Division Outlook with Early Bird Rights' Jeff Siegel. You can come back tomorrow to hear us talk all things Charlotte Hornets, Orlando Magic, and Miami Heat. Until then, I leave you all with a shout-out to Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.